0: A lot of urban design is about sort of looking at, you know, you go and look at Italian model cities and say, "Oh, look, that's lovely," and everything like that. Um, This is actually going really to the root of it and saying why. And rather than actually trying to sort of go into more, I'll just go through a series of examples that are in the book that will elucidate that. Um, So, first question: Why are towns and cities structured the way they are? And I'm going to ask a series of questions, and if you've heard me speak before, if you've already read this book, um, then please um, keep stum. But otherwise, um, first off, uh, we, you know, from time immemorial, since the earlier civilization, any town that grew to any particular size was shaped with homes around the edges and uh, sort of a retail marketplace or something, a souk or something like that in, in the centre. The question is Why? Anybody here give me a sort of good answer of why that is? Fundamental reason why that might be the case. Mediums of means of transport it needed to be uh, impossible. Okay. Be building, be building on that. The shortest distance forever. To get. Shortest distances. Building on that. we sort of getting deeper still. Infrastructure. No, deeper still. It's the shortest. Sure. Distance for all the Right, customers. but why is that important? Uh, because it maximises the commercial value of that location. <coughs> now, deeper?
1: <laughs>
0: if people can't all meet in the same place, they can't trade, they can't exchange goods. Okay. They're all valid responses, but the actual real fundamental is the most energy efficient the most energy-efficient, so all those issues about it's the shortest distance to walk and thing like this, it's the least effort for people to walk. It's the, least, it's the most energy-efficient urban form that it could, could take. And the first chapter of the book goes into sort of explaining that. Um, but um, needless to say, in a world where we're all jumping into our cars, suddenly that no longer is a raison d'etre for urban structure. So, next question. What's the difference between roads and streets? Again, let's go deep here. We all know what you know the difference in terms of what they look like, but what's the fundamental difference between roads and streets? Any any answers? Human scale versus uh, no requirements. That's that's a a consequence. So let's let's go let's go further deeper than that. Streets have buildings and they do. Roads for cars and speeds for everyone. Yeah, indeed they do, but it's not necessarily a reason. Now we're getting there, now we're getting there. So, we all know roads, you know, your classic motorway. Um, you can typecast it in terms of it's something that is maximising the human interaction, going from end to end, getting people from A to B. Um, And as a consequence of that, you create division um, through the landscape through which that road operates. Um, The street is quite difficult to sort of really typecast in quite the same way. But if you take it to its logical extreme, if you start working through the dynamics of retail, so I spent 60 years of my life getting planning permission for Westfield in Stratford City in East London, so I spend a lot of time working with retail architects. If you start really understanding... The dynamics behind retail, you get to this realization that the successful street is totally and utterly dependent upon maximizing the interaction across its sides. So the econo- you know for the, maxim- for the successful market street, for example, the most successful street is where there's maximum amount of economic interaction, people doing trades across those market stores, across the side of the street. And if you take that logic through, you end up with a solution where you realise that the fundamental characteristic of a street is maximising the lateral interaction, whether it's (coughs) social or economic, which is completely orthogonal to the purpose of a road. So you end up with these completely orthogonal reasons. It's not surprising, therefore, perhaps why our road engineers and our landscape architects permanently clash you can start understanding quite, you know, quite literally why your landscape architect is there trying to put objects in the way to try and get that lateral interaction running. So it suddenly provides a raison d'etre understanding why we're actually doing what we're doing. So um, and I built up in the detail of the book sort of the idea of urban vectors that sort of look at sort of how the, the flows of human interaction operate and the way that on roads they're maximised of length to length. And on streets it happens in a completely opposite way. Uh, Another question. What's the ratio of residential floor space to all other built floor space for the whole UK? So let's just taking that which you would normally expect to be able to mix-use, so excluding your major industrial or your really big warehousing, but anything else that you might be reasonably sort of mix use in a sort of urban environment. What is that ratio? Can anybody sort of give me a, an answer? <coughs> Come on, guys, you work out, all professionals in the urban design world, you should know this one. No? No? It's round about six to one. OK? Um, And it leads us to, if you start thinking about in terms of dynamics, the relationship between the economic and the retail versus the residential, you start beginning to see why, um, for example, we end up with places like Paris, where you've got sort of within that any street block, you've got that same sort of dynamic. And it's not surprisingly, when you actually work through the energy, why you can come up with a deduce that... Urban settings like the centre of Paris, for example, centre of Madrid, these sort of urban capitals, are actually the most energy efficient. Uh, there is a fatal flaw in the Kenworth and Newman studies that was done, sort of that suggested places like Hong Kong were actually the most energy efficient. They forgot to, to include electricity, they only considered gasoline. When you start considering the dynamics between vertical and horizontal relationships, then you come up with the conclusion that we all know in our hearts that places like Paris and Madrid and places like that are actually the most energy efficient. And it's not surprising that they were the iteration that concluded at the end of the industrial period when they'd grown really quickly. There was, they had <coughs> scarce amounts of coal compared to the UK. They had to find a solution that was highly energy efficient. So they ended up with your six to one ratio within every street block. Um, that same ratio is expressed across the urban landscape, which wherever you look, um, whether or not you're sort of moving into the Mayfair situation where you've got the residential and offices sort of no longer a great deal of <coughs> vertical mixed use, but mostly horizontal mixed use. You go around Mayfair, you think it's a sort of urban, it's a sort of economic thriving area, but actually every back street you walk down is almost entirely residential, vertical mixed. You know, there's no vertical mixed use. So when we start applying planning policies that are sort of a counterplay to the old zoning situation where we say everything has to be mixed use, we need to actually think, actually, what is appropriate? Um, You see the same sort of dynamic when you've got the streets, um, when you've got sort of lower density in terms of that ratio. That ratio carries on. But there's interestingly, and this is something that I go into in depth in the book, um, when you drop the... (coughs) density below about 50 dwellings per hectare gross, you get a dissociation of land uses. And that fundamentally starts impacting on the whole way that society and the economy operates, can be argued to be one of the root causes behind the crash in 2008, why the whole American housing market crashed, because there is no intrinsic land value left in the housing market. But I won't go into detail here, but that's just a little taster for what's dealt with in the book. Um, and finally, um, another sort of thing, another thing that sort of I often found difficult to sort of try and work through. So let's take, for example, on the south side of Covent Garden in the centre of London, you've got about 10 um, shops that all do um, mountain clothing, you know, sort of ski suits, all that type of stuff and so on. And I was just puzzled, well, why are they all there in one place? Why, why have they collected together? And you see this across the urban landscape. You see so the collection of jewellery shops, the collection of coffee shops, and so on. Why are they, you know, they're all competing, but why have they actually aggregated together, chosen to aggregate together in that one place? And the reason why you can get there is, and, and apologies for the, um, you can see I don't have any design training, um, you can explain this through the old, re- the old ice cream salesman dilemma. Imagine a scenario where you've got a beach there has a road running along the back, there's a car park running all the way along the back of that beach. So we've got an even distribution of population of bathers, some bathers along that beach. So it's an even, even, as opposed to often the situation where everybody's at the entrance to the beach, we've got actually an even distribution of people. One ice cream salesman turns up and parks himself at one end of the beach and starts selling his ice creams. Great. Another ice cream salesman turns up and goes, oh, there's one there. I'm going to go and park at the other end of the beach. Competition naturally feels as though he wants to be geographically distanced from the other person. So he starts selling ice creams at the other end of the beach. But imagine halfway through the day, the um, shore breeze picks up, starts getting a bit of chilly, sort of people start leaving the beach, um, the sails start drying up, they're not doing quite so well. And the ice cream salesman are sort of scratching their head going how am I going to actually sort of increase my sales? And he goes, well, actually, if I move a little bit further towards the center of the beach, I'm going to be able to be within walking distance of all those people who are actually currently walking to the guy on the other end of the beach. So he moves to a bit, and then the other ice cream salesman seems to move and starts moving as well. Bit by bit, the logic of the story is they both end up in the middle of the beach. But instead of competing geographically now, rather than being geographically separated, they're too close together, they start have to, having to compete in economic terms by differentiating themselves. So he sells chocolate ice creams, he sells strawberry ice creams, he sells Coke, he sells coffee, and everything like this. So they start differentiating themselves in, geogra- in, in, in economic or cultural or social terms, but they are now brought together in <laughs> geographic terms. And if you apply that logic, you can sort of start seeing why we end up with the retail centers of towns not. That, works hand in hand with the economic efficiency issue um, and why a lot of issues around the urban landscape happen the way they are. So the real thinking behind this book is trying to sort of ask those types of questions to understand sort of deeper down what it is that makes our cities function the way they are, why they work the way they are, and if we start understanding why they work the way they are then we can start designing in a way that actually works with that rather than necessarily trying to work against it. Um, And furthermore, sort of what's really trying to get out of this is actually still, un- is really understanding sort of what the similarities are between places. Rather than looking at urban design and saying, oh, everybody's place different, we can't quite understand it. You can start actually digging deeper and actually say, actually, every town, wherever it is, is just a town. We can actually understand it. You understand why it works the way it does, and we can actually build upon that. And so that's why the subtitle of the book is called Function in Form. Thank you.